today we're going to be starting our new series that is called Always Give Thanks. Why? Because this is the month of thankfulness, right? Who's looking forward to Thanksgiving? Anyone looking on? Where we shall eat copious amounts of food because that's the American way, right, to celebrate. I remember someone once asking me, do you celebrate Thanksgiving in Scotland? And I'm like, I don't think you understand what Thanksgiving's all about. <laughs> I don't think you, I, yeah, okay. Another one, someone else also asked me if we celebrated Fourth of July, which is another thing. I really don't think you understand what's going on here. But anyway, we're so glad. We're so glad you want to celebrate that with us. So Thanksgiving is something that is really important. Can you believe it's November already? It's insane. Weren't we just in summer? I can't believe this. But today I want to, to, I want to read a scripture that might seem a, a peculiar scripture for us to read. But I believe it shows us the seeds of Thanksgiving, the attitude that it takes, the attitude of gratitude that it takes in order to be positioned for paradise, to be positioned for paradise. And we're going to read the story about the two thieves that hung on the cross beside Jesus. And it's Luke chapter 23, verses 38 to 43. And it says this, there was written a notice above Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. And it read this, this is the king of the Jews. Now, it was the Romans that put it there, which was really an insult to this guy and an insult to anybody else to say the king of the Jews because the Jews didn't want to think of this guy as the king of the Jews. And the last thing you want to do is have a king that's being crucified to be your king. You want to, be a, you want to have a strong man for your king. So this was an insult. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. Imagine hanging on the cross and having a conversation with someone else, telling the other person you're an idiot, and then you tell the other person, no, you're the idiot. Sound strange, right? No, you're the idiot. But here they are having this discussion, rebuking each other. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And watch this. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So here's the situation. The situation is you've got these two guys who have been judged accordingly to their crime. And I don't think it was just a little petty thief thing. I think it was probably something that the Romans decided this is the type of stuff that if everybody else copies them and follows them, then we're going to have big problems. Let's hang them on the cross and let's kill them. It wasn't just to punish them specifically. It was also to warn everybody else away from what they, from even following in their same behavior. But these two men, these two thieves lived the exact same lives. They were thieves and they were in the exact same position they were now on the cross and they were suffering the exact same punishment according to the crime that they had committed and they were offered the exact same opportunity of responding to Christ. And yet only one of them made it into God's kingdom. Only one of them were invited into paradise. Why? How? It's simply because of this. There is a difference between the recognition of their position. Each one of them had a different position when it came to Christ. 
And you could say, well, one's on the left, one's on the right. But they were both on the cross. They were going through the exact same experiences, doing, going through the, the exact same punishment, uh, having the exact same opportunity to speak to Christ in a particular way. But one chose to speak one way and the other one chose to speak a different way. They had two different positions beside Christ. And I want to look at each thief and I want to look at the first thief. What did he say? What did he do? What was his attitude? The first thing that I see in the first thief is this. He had a mocking mouth. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. He hurled insults. Listen, when criticism comes too easily from your mouth, watch out. When criticism comes too easily from your mouth, watch out. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, he says, what comes from your mouth is actually coming from your heart and that's what defiles a person. In Proverbs 18, verses 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. That's paradise and Hades. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now I looked up the word in Hebrew, what the word love meant, and it means love. But the second meaning is friend, to make a friend of. And so if you read it this way, and those who make a friend of the tongue will eat its fruit. That basically means when you come into a relationship with this life or death, it will create a fruit inside of you that's either going to be life or death. I want you to note this. And that is that we must be careful about the complainers that we hang around to pay attention to those who are friends who maybe have complaining mouths as well. Why? For three different reasons. The first one is this. Their complaints are like a stench that gets into your hair, into your clothes, into your mind, into your speech, and it starts sticking to you and depresses you in your life. Being around people who are complainers starts to affect you eventually. The second reason why you must be careful about the complainers that you're around is that you can easily adopt their words of complaint too. How so? Because you start eating the fruit of their words. You start to consume it. Don't allow complaints to live rent-free in your mouth or in your house. Let me say it again. Don't let complaints to live rent-free in your mouth or in your house. Third reason why you want to be careful of being around complainers is this. You will eventually end up on their complaint list. Don't think that misery loves com uh, company without that misery turning on itself without that misery deciding to turn on the very friends that were there to defend them, to love them, to hug them, to sympathize with them. Eventually, if there is a complaint in their mouth, they will turn it against you. My father never allowed complaints in our household. As we were ever complaining about something like, well, this isn't fair, this isn't fair, or that's not fair, was never allowed in my household when I was growing up. My father would arch his back and his eyes would go wide and go, you said what? We have no complaints in this household. Why? Because we're living by the grace of God. We don't have a right to complain, especially if we're Christians. This not, should not be allowed in your household. Listen, well, sometimes I'll see I'll see kids complain about something and I'll see their parents not say anything about it. Listen, parents, if you allow your children to learn the behavior or complaints, they will take over your house with a stink of complaint. And then you'll have the type of behavior from your children that is the fruit of death because they're allowed to actually allow complaint in their mouth. 
They create this type of thing in their life. They'll create it in your household. You have the opportunity to shut it down and say, enough, we don't complain in this household. We're grateful for what we have. We're grateful because what we do have is nothing that we actually deserved. The second thing that we saw in this thief was this, is that there was a goading for performance. Verse 39, he says, aren't you the Messiah? I thought you were the big guy. I thought you were the Messiah, the one who was meant to come and save us. Why aren't you doing anything about this? Save yourself, save us. You're the Messiah. He's basically saying, live up to your name that everyone else has called you. Live up to your name that you have even allowed yourself to be called. People would say this to me when I was a child. I thought you were a pastor's kid. And it used to really be cutting to me because when someone says, I thought you were a pastor's kid, they're basically saying, you should know better. You need to live to a higher standard. But I was a kid. Surely I'm gonna make mistakes. Surely I don't need someone standing there ready to point a finger at me going, ah, you aren't doing good enough. Listen, when that type of things happen, you're basically, this person is saying, I thought you said you loved me. You're meant to do better. You're meant to perform for me and they're goading you. That's manipulation for them to get what they want. I'll get you to have to live up to a standard so that you start to give me what I want. I thought you were the Messiah. Save yourself and me. I want you to do all the work for me. And that leads me to the third thing that he did, and that was a demand for benefit. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. In other words, what have you done? What you have done is not good enough. I demand more from you. The problem is someone who is like that, their demands are never satisfied. If you save them, they'll want your clothes. If you give them clothes, they'll want a house. If you give them a house, they'll want the kingdom. If you get the kingdom, they'll want subjugation. And if you get subjugation, they'll eventually want your head. It's never enough with this type of spirit, with this type of attitude. In fact, this, I believe, is a demonic thing. How do I know that? Because in the Garden of Eden, the snake came up to her and said, 10,000 trees are not good enough for you. When he went to Eve and he went to, went to Adam, he said, these 10,000 trees that God has given you, that's not enough. She wanted the whole garden. She wanted that one tree that she said she couldn't have. I'm telling you, it comes from a root of demonic power. And if you've ever seen that within yourself, that it's not good enough for you and you're demanding more, watch out. Because that's exactly what the serpent did. The last thing, the last thing that this thief, this thief did was he was defiant. His brazen defiance was this, that the other thief spoke to him and said, he rebuked him and he said, don't you even fear God. Don't you fear God. Oh my goodness, you're in this position where you're demanding things and mocking this other guy. You don't fear God. In Psalm chapter, one, chapter 111, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is to know your position. That is to know that God Almighty could crush you. That is to know that you don't deserve anything. Everything you have in your life, whether it's good or bad, whether it's easy or suffering, it's all from the hand of God. And even if it's not directly from the hand of God, he's allowed it to exist in your life. That's the grace of God that you're still even existing. Why would God be against this stuff? Why would he be against this, this first thief? Why would, be, why would he be pushing against them. It's simply because of this. In James chapter four, verse six, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He will not interact or compromise. He will not 
make a negotiation with someone who complains. He doesn't, unless they're actually beseeching God. God, this is really difficult, this is tough, could you help me out? I really need your help, please tell me what I should do. That's a different attitude. But to say, you God are not a good God, why are you not saving me? You can't even save yourself. That's an attitude that is a demonic power. Let's look at the second thief here. The second thief, he said things differently. In Luke chapter 20 verses, sorry, 23 verse 40, it says, but the other criminal, this second thief, it didn't say the other nice guy. They didn't give him some sort of nice name. They named him for who he was. But this other criminal rebuked the first one and said, don't you fear God? When you're rebuking someone, you're having a declaration of truth, a declaration of truth. If you know that something is right or correct and it should be said, it's impingent upon you as a Christian to have to say something. It doesn't mean you're demanding your rights. It doesn't mean you're criticizing anyone. It just, you're just basically saying, this is what's right. I have to go with what scripture has told me or whatever God has revealed to me. In Leviticus chapter five, verse one, it says, if anyone sins because they do not speak up, when they hear a public charge to testifying regarding something they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. This thief was held responsible for saying what is true. That's why I, I have to say publicly as a Christian that I don't agree with abortion. I believe it's ending the life of a human that it says in my scriptures that God knew us before we were formed in the womb. If God knew me before I was formed in the womb, I was a person before I even went into the womb. I am a full person in the eyes of God. That's why I can't support abortion. That doesn't mean I have to come out and start criticizing and condemning people, but I can't stand by and say, well, maybe there's a negotiation here. I don't believe in that. It doesn't mean that you have to comment on everything, and it doesn't mean that you have to correct everyone. That's not my job. That's not your job. But when you hear something that is truly a lie, you have to go, that's not true. You have to say something very clearly. The second thing that this thief did was this. He had a recognition of his reality. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. No, look at that. You're under the same sentence. You're the one that's on the cross and you're gonna tell this guy that he's not good enough. You're the one that's not good enough. It's like the king doesn't have any clothes. I am amazed at how many people will actually say, you know what the president should do, but their marriage is a mess themselves, right? Or you know what we should do in the economy, but they're in rampant debt themselves. It's amazing how people can have that, what do they call it, Monday morning quarterbacking, well, I don't even know what that means, but Monday morning quarterbacking, where people have this great idea of what other people should do, but their lives are not on track themselves. This is hypocrisy. This is a lack of recognition of the reality. And this thief, he knew where he stood. He's like, you're under the same sentence, so am I. And it took him to this third thing that we can see in his life, is that there was an admission of guilt. He said, we, not you, we, that's including me, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. I'm always suspicious whenever I hear the word deserve. You know what we deserve? We deserve better. We deserve this. 
I don't like the word deserve because if I was really going to be honest about the word deserve, I deserve nothing good. I deserve to be rejected by God. I deserve to be punished. I deserve a lifetime away from God because I'm not holy. That's what we deserve. How do you quantify what you deserve? Only by what goodness God is and what sin we are ourselves. This is truly a recognition of your freedom, of your position. This is a recognition of your position. And in the words of the Gates the Minstrel's DC Talk, they said, confession is the way to freedom. This was their confession. This is what he was confessing. I don't deserve any of this, Jesus. I deserve punishment to me. It was an admission of his guilt. And the last one is this, number four. It was a prayer for mercy. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now here's what's interesting. Both the thieves were asked for something. They were asking for something. Asking wasn't the problem, but their attitude was the difference to their asking. You see, attitude is what determines your altitude. Your altitude of either being in paradise or your altitude of a low altitude of being in Hades. Your attitude changes absolutely everything about what you ask God for. I don't know why God hasn't given me what I want. I don't know why I've asked God and I've asked God and I've asked God. I'm getting really frustrated with God. Your attitude dictates your altitude in this world. It dictates exactly how good things come into your life, how you interpret them, how you experience this. Your attitude alters your asking, in fact. And here's the thing, the reward for this guy was that he became the first guest in paradise. Wait a second. This is the guy who had sinned just like the other guy. This is the guy who was a thief. This is the guy who was a bad guy, who did not live a good life. This is the guy who did not have a good record whatsoever. This is the guy that you'd maybe look at and go, I don't want to be friends with that. And yet he was positioned for paradise. He was positioned for paradise simply because of his attitude. Quite a few years ago, my, uh, my wife used to work for International Justice Mission, and she worked for them for 10 years, and that was to fight human trafficking around the world. And she went on a few trips with them to have to go undercover and to have to look into you know, some of the missions that they had on the, the third world, in third world countries. And, and so quite a few years ago, she actually ended up in Ghana, and she had to go to this, this massive lake, the second largest man-made lake in the world. And what they used to do is they would, men would take boys from, uh, from uh, villages and would promise their family, I'll teach him how to fish and then he'll have a living for life. They weren't. They were trafficking them. They weren't giving them care. They weren't giving them money. They were learning how to fish, but they weren't getting any benefit from this. And so she had to go undercover into this little boat uh, with some of the other people that were on IGM. And she would go and just, uh, she would pretend to be an American that was going to buy fish. And so she would go out in the boat and go up to these other boats and start to, you know, speaking with some of the fishermen and she would speak to some of the boys and they didn't like her actually speaking to these boys because they were very malnourished. And she took video of this and then were able to take this evidence and give it to the task force that was able to, um, to, to, to be able to go rescue these boys. Meanwhile, Peter Brunton back in America is a single parent looking after his children. And I'm back in America looking after children. Can I just say anyone who's a single parent, 
God bless you, because I couldn't handle that whatsoever. And so I, you know, I did, I'm doing my job, and I'm also trying to raise my children, drag them up at least, and you know, you get them ready in the morning, get them ready for school, take them to school, put them in school, take them back from school, uh, get them fed, make sure they're safe, do their homework, put them to bed, and then pretend like you have got it all figured out. No, I didn't have it figured out. And this one day, I had sent my lunch, I'd sent the lunch with my son to school. And he took his lunch and, and then he came back and he hadn't eaten his lunch. And I'm like, why didn't you eat your lunch? He's like, well, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't want to eat it. And I'm like, that's not a thing in our household. Whatever I've given, put in front of you, you eat it. You don't get a choice of whether you like it or not. You're going to eat it. That's the way my parents were. That's the way I was. Okay, that's the way I am. And so I said, you're going to eat this for dinner. The problem was, it was beans and rice that had probably sat out in his bag in the heat uh, for half the day. So it probably maybe had fermented a little bit. And so that day he was like, I don't feel very good, Father. I don't feel very good in my stomach. And I'm like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Put on his pajamas. And he goes, I don't feel very good. And I'm like, well, let's just go to the bathroom. As soon as he went in the bathroom, he threw up everything out of his stomach. Beans and rice collage all over the ground. And it not only, and it, you know when you talk about someone being sick, those that are sensitive, they start doing this, right? Okay, so don't, so, so, sorry, sorry. Oh, don't do it again, right? Now some of your mouths are watering, right? So anyway, it hits the ground and it splashes up and of course it hits all of the walls and I'm like, oh, son of a gun. So take them like, so I strip them down, put them in the shower, clean up so you feel better. Yeah, drink this water, put you to bed. You can see I'm not cut out to be a nurse, right? So I put them into bed and then I'm like, shoot, I gotta clean this stuff up. So you get the, you get the towels on the ground and of course you get a whiff of it and you're like, oh, okay. Oh, and you can't see anything because your eyes are starting to water. Oh, is that, oh. Oh, let me get, just take a moment, a breather, a breather. When <sighs> you take a breather. And so, so then I go back in and I have to clean the walls and all that. So by about maybe 11 o'clock at night, and I've cleaned it properly, I, I believe me, I did. So, so then I got, uh, I got into my own bedroom and I'm like, just, you know what I need? I just need to watch a nice little movie and I'll get a glass of wine and everything will be fine. And so I get, I get into my bed and movie, get the glass of wine, little sip, put it on the nightstand, but didn't quite reach the nightstand. And so it fell on the ground, splashed on the carpet, up onto the curtains, onto the side of my bed, actually went into the mattress, and inside I was like, Gah! You know that feeling where you just, I need to rip something apart or kill something, I don't know, but something needs to die right now. So I get up and I'm taking the bed sheets off and I'm tired. I'm taking off to take the curtains down now and I gotta wash them, get the carpet cleaner and get the car get the carpet like this. Now it's soaked into the mattress, son of a gun. Words are coming out of my mouth that are not Christian. I wanna dab off all this stuff. And I was so frustrated and I'm like, where is my wife? So the next day she comes home and you know, we're, you know she's had a long journey to try and get back from Ghana and she's tired, I'm tired. And you know, and you get to that place, you're like, so how was your day type of thing? You know, you know what it's like at the end of the day, how was your day, how was your day? And then she said, can I tell you and show you a picture and a video of some of the boys that I saw? And she showed me these little boys that were just trafficked into this thing and I realized how ungrateful I had been in my life that day that I was frustrated with how hard it was for me to do what I had to do. But my little boy was in his bedroom 
My little girl was as fast asleep. I had everything that was a blessing in my life and I wasn't paying attention to how good it was because I was so distracted with the frustration of what was going wrong in my life. I want to ask you today, are you frustrated with the challenges and the difficulties in your life, but you've lost sight of your position? You've lost sight that your position is now being turned away from the cross and complaining about your life. Or is your position turned towards the cross to the King of Kings, the King of the Jews, saying, remember me, please. I ask you for mercy because I don't have all the answers and I don't know how to handle everything, but I need you to help me in what you've called me to do. That's positioned for paradise. That's where Jesus goes today you're gonna be with me because you positioned yourself to be close to me. So wherever I go, you come with me. And if Jesus goes this way, you go with him. If he goes into difficult places, you go with him. If he goes into uh, beautiful heavens and celestial beings, you go with him. Why? Because paradise is Jesus. Jesus is life. And that's why we follow him. Let's stand this morning as we end our service. Father, we ask that you would forgive us. As we start off this whole month of always being thankful, always giving thanks, we pray that you would forgive us for our attitudes of ingratitude. Forgive us, Father, for complaining about how difficult we've got it. Help us, Lord, to not give complaints, rent space that is rent-free in our minds in our mouths and in our houses. Oh God, we pray that you would fill us, Lord, with words of thanks that is able to embrace the fruitfulness that you want to give into our lives. Forgive us our sins this day as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.